Hello and welcome to the Cavern Today's End of August podcast. This is your host, Tyon. In this, our 17th podcast, we've brought you our news and weather, an interview with Cyan's own in-house maestro Tim Larkin, a musical piece purported to be Tim Larkin's one-time favorite piece in the Uber soundtrack, and last but not least, a piece from our surface reporter, Moloch. So sit back, grab a cup of java, tea, or beverage of your choice, and enjoy Podcast 17. And they are real. This is Dalton Starbine with your weather report. Today in Spokane, Washington, it is sunny with a high of 88 degrees. Atlanta, Georgia, home of GameTap, is boiling at 90 degrees with high humidity making for scattered thunderstorms. In central New Mexico, it is 84 degrees and scattered thunderstorms continue to sweep the area there as well. And down in the cavern, it is a cool 79 degrees with the occasional leaky stalactite. Watch out for those drips. The rain on the surface has added enough moisture that some of the areas in the city and neighborhoods are slippery from the slight drizzle. Cones have been placed around the largest puddles. That is, if they haven't been kicked out of place by explorers. Well, that concludes our weather report for today. Thank you, Dalkin. Now, without further ado, I give you Janathus with a special guest today. Well, I'll let Janathus introduce him. Hello, and welcome again to The Cavern Today. It is very easy to become caught up in the visual elements of the Myst games. Certainly they are known for their breathtaking scenery with environments that are easy to become absorbed in. They allow you to nearly forget you're sitting in front of a computer immersed in those fantastical environments. However, there are two major unseen aspects of that immersion. They are the sound design and the music score. You notice it when fantastical creatures make sounds that are strangely familiar yet unfamiliar, or when something that looks like rusty metal squeaks appropriately when manipulated, or when you hear music that sounds so perfectly appropriate for the environment you are standing in. It is those elements that finalize your immersion in the mist experience. With us today is Mr. Tim Larkin, someone who is known most notably to us as the composer of the Uru and Mist 5 End of Ages scores. He uh, first interacted with Cyan while working for Broderbund as a programmer, helping to create the soundscape for Riven. Welcome, Tim. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, you started with music as young as age four with the piano, adding trumpet to your repertoire in the fourth grade, majoring in music in college, which eventually led to you performing live as a trumpet player. How did you end up working at Broderbund? Well, I, I'd been out of college. I uh, had been playing and composing in the Bay Area for quite some time after college, as after uh, going on the road for several years and coming back. And I had a company that I had put together with a friend of mine that was specifically, uh, the idea was to do composing for jingles and, and uh, TV, that type of thing. And I think we'd done uh, one television theme and one commercial when we decided to get into uh, the interactive media, which was just getting hot at the time, the CD-ROM drives were were exploding onto the scene, and there was all this interactive content that all of you know almost all of it had music to. So we thought, man, we got to get involved in this. 
So we opened up the phone book and looked for software companies in the area. And the first one under B happened to be Broderbund. So uh, we called them up and they actually uh, started us out as both as contractors and within several months we were both working there as, uh, as composers. So do you think that would work today? If you <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it was a lot different. I, you know, the whole CD-ROM industry, the game industry, was different. It was, it was at the time, it was just exploding. I mean, it, there was a after actually, and partly in, in fact, it w was due to Mist. I mean, everybody was trying to make another Mist or 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 have the success that they saw uh, that that um, Mist was providing. And so, literally across the street from Broderbund was another company. I think it was Mindscape and. And just down the street from there was another developer, and then in uh, closer, uh, Broderbund was in Novato in the Bay Area, and then if you went into San Rafael, there was another half dozen companies, and then in San Francisco, there was probably another ten or twenty more. Yeah, there's so a lot there of small a, firms that either got eaten up by the bigger companies or just disappeared. Oh, uh, there was a lot of both. I mean, eventually, it's, it's, I mean, the, the whole CD-ROM industry went through an interesting shakedown in the late. Oh, mid to late, probably late '90s, where a lot of those smaller developers just, you know, there was such a glut of games on the market due to the fact that everybody was doing it, that a lot of them went under. Uh, they just couldn't keep up with the price points. But again, if you tried to do that again today, it's not the same. There's uh, the industry is a lot tougher to get into. There's a lot more people uh, making games. There's a lot more people trying to get into it. There's a lot of people that have grown up with it. Uh, you know, since they were kids growing up with computers and trying to, uh, and, are, and are very familiar with how they work. And so uh, there's kids now that are, you know, 17, 18, 19 that are getting into the industry. When, when I was 17, 18, 19, I was just, I was in college, I was playing my trumpet, I had no interest in computers, I didn't, didn't know much about them at all or didn't even use them at the time. Now, there's also uh, the, the genres have kind of moved on, unfortunately. Well, the genres as well. I mean, that's a whole different subject. But yeah, the the, the adventure game genre is definitely different today than it was uh, 12, 13 years ago. There's no doubt. And there's also the consideration that I think a lot of this uh, fizzled out somewhere around the dot-com bust. Era. Correct. Um, game development, you know, it, as people expected, bigger, better, faster, more, all that, you know, game development becomes harder. A lot of people spend a lot, a lot of volume or a lot of time on the graphical or the visual aspect and a lot of the other parts of the games may, be, may receive less focus as a result. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, that's, that's part, that's, that was partly true throughout the development over the last, I think, 10 or 12 years where definitely graphics took the lead development-wise. I mean, everybody wanted to see more. They wanted more eye candy. But I also believe that had it not been supported by the continuing development of audio behind that, you know, increased resolution, more channels, um, just a better ways of implementing audio, I, I think that there would have been a, a, you know, an outcry there as well. I think we've been lucky. We have been fortunate enough to keep up with the, with the graphics um, because of the, the uh, um, advances in computer technology and development technology. Yeah, I, think, I think I saw you mention that somewhere where you, you said that in some of the older games you could have music or you could have sound effect you couldn't have both and so um, you had to I'm not sure I said that but <laughs> but uh, you know even in, in when I was doing Riven I think we I, I, I might be wrong in this but I think we were only allowed four channels of audio at the time which yeah would that's mean, what it was it was it was a limited channel so you couldn't right. actually oh yeah that. in the beginning I mean Mist was done I think on two channels 
And then Riven, I think we had the luxury of doing four, and I think we had 90 megs of disk space we were allowed uh, that we could actually load onto the drive. And so uh, as a result, you know, you had to make a lot of choices and how you would mix the ambience into the sound effects and how you would, uh, whether or not you'd use a stereo sound effect or a mono sound effect and how if they crossed over, how you would deal with the actual priorities of the sound. There's a lot of things that you actually had to do much differently back then because we just just didn't have the options that we have now. Do you find that since you're uh, in-house now with Cyan that, uh, you know, you have a an influence over the project, you know, like, you know, we'll, we need a little more emphasis on sound here or anything like that. Do you have any kind of say like that? Well, I sure try. Um, it doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always happen that way. But, uh, you know, it's, I, it, it's Cyan. Unfortunately, I'm the only audio guy here at this point. I, I do all the sound and all the music creation. Uh, and then there's another guy that will help out with the implementation of the sound into the game. But, uh, so I, I, I definitely try to have a voice and, and it, at times when we're developing certain parts of the engine, uh, I, I have a say into that as far as what we, you know, what we would like to have or what we need. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I know they're, you know, they're very aware of of the fact that that uh, their audio requires time and attention. Well, it actually turned out to be a, a harder task formulating an interview for you than I originally expected. Uh, for example. During my internet search, um, having seen you in a few places pictured over a piano or holding a trumpet, I was surprised to discover that it wasn't until you came on board with Uru's development, uh, at that point called Dirt or Dunny in real time, that you were actually working on the music. And I was under the impression you always did both sound design and music composition as part of your career in game development. I didn't realize that it wasn't both at the same time. Uh, Well, actually... um it, it has been both at the same time since I started for the most part. There's times when I'll work on a certain game where I'm only doing sound design or there's a certain game that I've done where I've only done the music. But generally, uh, as far as here at Cyan anyway, since I started working on it, I did the sound design and the music. Um, when I was working on Riven, I was actually hired as a composer at Broderbund. Uh, and when they hired me, when I went in for the interview, they said, oh, by the way, do you mind doing sound design as well? And I didn't know much about it, but I said, yeah, sure, that's no problem. And I basically learned sound design on the job at Broderbund. But my whole career there, uh, I was either, I was most often, you would be the sound lead on a game. And that meant that you were in charge of composing and sound design. Now, there'd be other people that would work with you on the game, but in, in general, you're always doing both. Um, when I was on Riven, it just so happened that Robin, I was under the understanding that Robin was going to do the music for Riven, so it was not really an issue unless he didn't have time and, and thought that, well, maybe I might do some music on Riven, but it ended up where he did it all and, and did have the time. But um, So that's why at, the, at that point it was only sound design on Riven. But when I came up here, I actually came up here to be essentially what, what we called the audio director and uh, initially was just going to do sound design even on Dirt until I sat down with Rand in my office one day and he just said, well, do you do music as well? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. So I started doing music from that point on uh, for Uru as well. You kind of gave me the answer to this question, but can you uh, share some of your history uh, working in the interactive multimedia market up to and including how you became a permanent part of Cyan? Well, working in, I was working at Broderbun again, just, and I, I was hired there just as Mist uh, and really started to make its mark. And uh, I was working on a bunch of kids' games there. I worked on uh, everything from the Carmen Sandiego series 
to a game called Playroom and Treehouse and uh, another one called War Breeds, and I worked on uh, later on on some of the Prince of Persia stuff that they did. Uh, so I, I I had worked on a gamut of games there, but but for the majority the majority of them were kids' games, and uh, they started to make noise about making the sequel to Mist, and so I I got around to playing what I could of Mist. I actually never got off the island <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> But I uh, really enjoyed there. the aesthetic and enjoyed the abstract, ambient feel to it. So I started talking to the producer at Broderbund. His name was Dennis Leahy, who was uh, working with Cyan on Riven, and said, hey, you know, this is something that I'm really interested in. Can you talk to those guys and see if you can get me on? So he did, and him and I were really good friends. We'd worked on a lot of projects before together. So uh, a few other sound designers at Broderbund as well were interested in doing Riven because it was obviously the... the the huge thing at the time, and uh, so we all kind of did little auditions with uh, submitting demos or whatever. And we, I think we did the first audition was a movie. It was the elevator that comes down on I think it's Temple Island. So we had a movie of that, and a bunch of people did sound to it. And I submitted that and ended up talking to Robin about it, and uh, ended up getting the job as a sound designer from Broderbun uh, to do the sound design on Riven. So uh, that's how that came about, and then from that point. After Riven was actually shipped and and completed, uh, I went on to work at uh, Sierra Online, uh, just out just outside of Yosemite, on uh, the Middle Earth project. It was going to be a huge. It was Middle Earth Online, and uh, that went through a few iterations as well. And actually, I never finished up on that one because uh, they had some problems with development teams and so forth. But at the time that uh, they were starting to go through some of the major reshaping of the teams, I decided that it was time to get. Uh, more involved with what was going on here at Cyan and spoke with uh, Tony Fryman about it. We decided that it was best that I move up here and actually start working on on dirt pretty much full time. Uh, and that was back in 1999. So at that point, they didn't have anyone doing what you were no, doing? No, I, I, I was working freelance actually at the time on dirt uh, from where I was living outside of Yosemite. Okay. So I was beginning you know, work on it and uh, it just made sense to get more involved as the engine was being developed and a lot of stuff was going on that it would help to have somebody that would represent audio here on site. That's good. In your game credits, there are such notables such as Middle Earth, The Incredibles, Lord of the Rings, and Robata. Can you give us some examples of how these other projects and working with other companies compare with Cyan, Mist, and Uru? I think that with, with every different company that you work for in every different game, it's a different experience. Uh, some of them are, you know, everything from a shooter to an adventure game to a strategy game. So every experience is totally different. Um, here at Cyan, I, I think it's it's uh, it's different because I'm, I interact on a day-to-day -day basis for the most part. I I know what's going on design-wise. I know what's going on with the art. Uh, I have a, a better idea of the story on an ongoing daily basis. Whereas sometimes when you're working with another company, uh, when you're freelancing or working, and I work pretty much out of my house and out of here at Cyan, so I'm uh, located in Spokane, and a lot of the other people are, and other games that I work on are, are in whether in California or Seattle or or who knows where or Canada. Um, so you're not the, the uh, interaction is a little bit different. You know, they'll generally ask you if it's a music job that I'm doing. They'll ask you for a certain style of music, and 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 you kind of uh, you know write what you're asked to write instead of. Uh, what you're seeing develop and, and writing on a day-to-day -day basis where you may see a scene or a story or a theme or 
character that really requires something, you know, you're not always privy to all the, the, the very detailed information. I mean, often you are, but often you aren't as well. So the, the main it's a big difference being on site as to being a freelancer. I wouldn't say one is more or less effective than the other because I think that if you have a good lines of communication open with whatever producer directors you're working with that you can end up with just as, as good of a product. I think that uh, you're just less dependent upon that when you're in-house. You have the kind of job that telecommuting is okay with. Yeah, I, I do, fortunately. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, <laughs> I, I love where I live, and uh, I mean, it's a great area, and uh, I have no desire to be down in L.A. or anywhere like that anytime soon. <laughs> so you've gone on to record to say that your uh, favorite instrument is the Armenian duduk flute. And I've seen in a write-up that you try to incorporate it as much as possible into your work. Can you go into more detail about that flute and the other instruments that you favor? Well, the duduk is just a just a beautiful sounding instrument uh, if it's played right. And there's a lot of great duduk players out there, or several I should say. I wouldn't say a lot, it's actually a rare instrument, but there's several really good duduk players out there and each one sounds very different. So stylistically, you know, there's a lot of places you can actually bring a duduk where it's not normally heard. Uh, the reason I think I started using it to begin with was because of the uh, solo instrument in Riven, which was, a, I believe it was played in Gen's theme that uh, Robin used a synthesizer called the Yamaha VL1 with breath control. It gave it, a, it had a very organic feel for a synthesizer. And there was an instrument that I believe Gen played called the Marl Obe that looks a lot like a Daduk. And I, it's similar to what I think that instrument would have sounded like. And that's why I tried to sort of, as a departure point from what had been done in Riven, I began to use the Daduk as a result of that. And uh, I've used it uh, several times in Uru, and also I used it in Mist 5. And uh, I just like the sound of the instrument. It's exotic, it's different, and it's... Uh, at the time I started using it, it was still pretty rare. I've heard it in a lot of film scores since. I mean, it's, it's definitely gaining in popularity, so it's, it's heard a lot more than it was at the time I started. But uh, I like t trying to incorporate any type of, of uh, ethnic instrument or something that you just don't normally hear and try using it in a little bit of a setting that's a little bit different than you would normally expect. So, with my next question, I must first add the preface that I enjoy all the music in relation to the Mist games. In the other Mist games, by that I mean those not developed by Cyan, I would characterize the soundtracks as sounding more like movie scores than Mist music. The Cyan-developed Mist and Uru games have this musical approach that seems to almost say that these sounds are what the environment would sound like if it were given a voice. How do you normally shape the, the themes for the environments, and are you at all affected by the previous MIST projects by Cyan or input from others involved in the development process? Well, the I think the first two games, MIST and Riven from Cyan, actually did influence where I started with the music from Uru. I realized that, that there was a common thread of the Dunny culture that, that ran through Uru, although it's not a MIST game per se, it still has a lot of the same storyline and a lot of the same elements. So I decided to start with at least using that music as a departure point. I, I, I'm really fond of the abstract, you know, ethnic type feel uh, of, of music. And I, I should say, maybe not as ethnic, but the abstract uh, ambient type feel that Robin went with. And so I started there and, and kind of, depending on the situations and the story, I kind of, uh, I wanted things to be different than that. I didn't want it to be the same as a Mist game. Um, I wanted to go different places and, and take advantage of of uh, the different f 
feel of a of a of the game of Uru than the game of Mist. Um, a good example is when you start out in the cleft in in uh, the beginning of Uru, and it's a southwestern guitar feel, which you'd never find in a Mist game. But yet, it I think it was very appropriate for the time and place where it takes place, and that and that was a blast. I mean, that's one of the, the real luxuries we have with this game is there's just so many different possibilities. Um, with Mist, you're 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 stuck a little bit more in a timeline and a little bit more of a certain feel that's been established. In the Mist 5 game that I scored, uh, I was had a little more restrictions upon me that I'd placed myself, but uh, there was also the restrictions of the, there's a lot of voiceover that was done, a lot of speeches that I underscored. And uh, trying to keep in line with the, the atmosphere and the feel of Mist and also score the emotion was really was was a lot tougher than the more open-ended uru that that I'm able to work on now so as far as input from others I think that there's not nobody has come up to me and said you know Tim we really need this style of music or this instrument or this palette or this whatever for any age or even in any place I think that uh, you know everybody has ideas it's just um, I, th I think that generally what I'll do is I'll, I'll look I'll walk through an age as it's being created and start to get a feel for what it should sound like and and whether that's you know sound design and ambience or whether it's music and where it, I think that it needs it and there'll maybe an occasional time when someone else will say you know it'd be really cool to have some music at this spot when this happens or whatever but for the most part it's just uh, you know decisions are I, I make the decisions based on what I feel walking through it and um, generally after I'm done I'll get Randon here and we'll sit down and, and uh, he may have a suggestion or two about something that, he, that he'd like to hear or more or less of or whatever but it's generally at that point it's, it's, it's pretty close to being done well, I always imagined it like Rand walking into you okay we have this age mapped out and we want it to be like this can you do a sound like this that's the way I always pictured it happening actually it's probably the exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> I mean one of the one of the really great things about working here and the luxuries about working here is the autonomy that I think most of the people are uh, are, are given and uh, I think Rand understands everybody's creative strengths and I think he lets them express them how they feel best and then he you know obviously he's going to guide the overall process but for the most part I think it's the trust that he has in in the people that he hires that uh, is is part of his was one of his great strengths well I've read that your favorite Uru piece is Beyond Gira is that true well you know um, I don't know if that is my favorite I mean the I don't really have a favorite. I think it's kind of what I'm working on at the time. I like that piece a lot. I mean, the way it came out, it just uh, it, it it came out very easily, and I I like the space in that in that piece. I like the way that it ended up. I just I like the way it ended up. I mean, it did. You know, it's one of those things when you start a piece, you never know exactly how it's going to finish, and uh, uh, what the way that one came out, it just it just works for me. So I, I really enjoy the way that one ended up. It's one of my favorites. I'm familiar with it from the soundtrack, but not necessarily from the game. The same is true of the track Badlands, which I've also seen used for, I believe, the early Real Mist trailer. Um, yeah. Can you give us a hint as whether or not these pieces will find themselves nestled into an interactive medium sometime in the future? Anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I don't know. It might, it might not. <laughs> Trying to, so, I'm trying to talk my way out of, of the, a corner here. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the uh, 
some of the soundtrack, or actually very little of the soundtrack, actually I think it's only the two pieces I've just mentioned, seem possibly written with uh, plans in mind that either didn't come to fruition or didn't come to fruition yet. And uh, we're just looking for a hint, possibly. There's actually several pieces on the Uru soundtrack that uh, that were written. I mean, there were actually, I think everything on there was written with something in mind, or if not something in mind for a particular place. And I think through the soundtrack, there may be actually four or five pieces that aren't, uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but there might at least four pieces that aren't used in the game at this point. Your um, piece, the Kaddish Gallery theme, uh, has been used for that Munich movie trailer. Mm-hmm. How did that play out? How did that happen? You know, I, I've heard several stories about that myself, <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> sure which one's true. What happened is, uh, after that, that piece kind of took on a life of its own. It, it uh, started by uh, when Jack Wall decided to do the Video Games Live uh, concert, which started down in the Hollywood Bowl about a little over a year ago. Uh, I spoke with him, and he, and he was saying, you know, I want to put some Uru music in here into this uh, mist segment. I said, well, the most attention that, it, for whatever reason, the gallery theme has, has gotten a lot of attention. So we, we put it into the, the uh, Video Games Live concert. And uh, from that point on, it was, it, uh, it, again, I, I just kept uh, hearing things about it or reading about it. And um, so there's a, 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 a company that I work with uh, down in Los Angeles that, that uh, does trailer placements and that type of thing, and they were very interested in getting more game music to cross over into film music. And uh, I imagine they're also doing the uh, uh, the opposite, where uh, I know game comp- or film composers are starting to get more involved in games as well. So he's the one that actually started the placement. Now I, I've I've heard stories about Steven Spielberg playing Uru or whatever, and and also enjoying the piece. And again, I have no idea if, if any of that is true. If it came from Spielberg himself, or if it came just from—I actually uh, think I heard that he was—he uh, was praising the game at some point. It's possible. I—I I haven't heard that firsthand myself, yeah, so I, I couldn't uh, confirm my, that. My source is collateral as well, so I'm, I may have to strike that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have no idea exactly how, uh, if it came from again, if it came from him, or if it came from one of the uh, uh, producers of the trailer itself, and how how that finally got confirmed. But one night. Uh, I didn't even know it was going to happen, and I happened to be watching the news or something, and the Munich trailer came on with that music, and that was the first I'd heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, I, I, the only reason I heard about it is some fan had heard it and put it on a forum, and I clicked on the link and listened to it, and I thought, well, love the music, but it, I don't think it melded well with the trailer. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I guess I'm kind of a, a purist about things. Like, to me, the best... Uru soundtrack is the one I extracted from the game files because it's exactly what I heard in the game. Mm-hmm. And in the same vein, when I when I see a trailer and I hear music, I'm like, "That's good music," and I want to hear that later. But then it turns out it actually didn't. Uh, it wasn't part of the movie's score. Very seldom is it. It's uh, most of the trailers are done before the score is complete. Yeah, and so thank goodness for that soundtrack.net. Place, I think it is. They've got a list of the trailers and the music they played with it. So at least you you have a you know a breadcrumb trail to follow for that kind of thing. Right. So that kind of brings me back to uh, what kind of influences uh, you find notable, uh, be it uh, movies, uh, games, what have you. What influences inspire you? I, I listen to a lot of film soundtracks. Um, there's a lot of 
composers that are not as well known, and and there's a lot of well known composers as well that do great stuff. But I think that some of the real innovation is happening from you know a lot of the films and and composers that aren't as well known, and and so I kind of dig around and and try to find those guys. Um, often I'll be asked when I'm uh, maybe submitting something for another game proposal somewhere. I'll be asked. I say they'll say I want you to do a. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear some music in the style of such and such. Maybe it's I, I've heard everything from Batman's Begins to Flight 93, and so you go and look up like Flight 93. I just went and listened to part of the score for that, and I'd never heard of the guy before. And it's some really interesting stuff. Very minimal, uh, very sparse, very dark, and uh, that's what they were looking for for this score. So I was turned on to the composer for that by someone asking for that style. So I'll, I'll listen to, uh, and again, there's a lot of great composers that are that are on the top of the heap too. Guys like Thomas Newman and uh, uh, James Newton Howard that are doing some really innovative stuff that I like listening to as well. So I, I listen to a lot of that as well as uh, things that have nothing to do with my work. You know, just music that I may enjoy listening to. Have you ever heard of Jeremy Soule? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm very familiar with his stuff, and I'm a connoisseur of his uh, product, of course, a little bit. And I find in some cases there's a, um, uh, how to say this nicely, there's a similar sound among, you know, stuff that he does. And I think that's that's kind of a trap that any composer is going is gonna to fall into one way or the other. And, like, they, you see similarities between, like, Star Wars and Harry Potter if you listen close enough. Mm-hmm. Or maybe people don't pay attention. But I, I noticed that kind of thing. And I, I've had some music theory teaching. I'm not a musician to this day but it's still there I still have a sense of pitch and what have you whether or not I can reproduce it is a different story but um, I haven't really noticed any um, I've noticed a few themes and tones in Uru that are similar but I've listened to your pariah I've listened to that that African montage that you did do you find it hard to actually keep that from happening or you know obviously keeping your influences and your sound fresh is, is obviously a difficult thing. Well, I think that from the beginning, I mean, one of the things I really strive for on Uru was to do something different. Um, again, this I started it seven, seven years ago, and what was going on, I mean, there was a big push towards orchestral music at that time, so I decided not to go there. I mean, I went, I went in a different direction for Uru. I still do some orchestral stuff now and, now and again, which makes it just in, that in itself makes the style a little bit different from what I've done on Uru and Mist. Um, I try to keep the stuff fresh as much as I can. I don't. I, I think that every game, when you do a different type of a game, it lends itself to a different style. Generally, um, you know, I don't think people have, uh, when they hired me for your example, when they hired me for Pariah, they didn't say, you know what, I want you to do a Mist type score for this. They didn't say that. Um, they did hire me because they'd heard the music on Uru, but they then they gave gave references to uh, Danny Elfman and some other stuff. So, and not to say that I go out and copy that style, but I try to at least get an idea for what type of maybe orchestrations they're using or uh, a different type of form. Um, so, I think that what I I think I was fortunate in that I was able to work on Uru, which was a different a different genre of game and a different genre of music and sort of create a little bit of a genre right there and and that in itself lends itself to the unique sound that I was able to sort of start seven years ago and and as a result it's different than a lot of stuff that's out there and I think that's kind of what makes it unique in itself. Well, that also causes a small problem because if you 
you can't, you know, listen to the Uri soundtrack at all times or in the Miss soundtracks at all times. It simply will get old. And so you're like, okay, now I want something more. I want something else, something in this kind of field. And that's that's where, you know, kind of sewers of soundtracks kind of get stuck because you don't actually know what the uh, the popular media that sounds similar to that is. I was a little lost there. So what's your question? <laughs> <laughs> I was just making a statement. Okay. <laughs> Well, you're right. I, you know, it's. Um, I, I don't know what's next for what I'm going to do in Uru. I have no idea. I mean, hopefully, just every, you know, every age, every story, every element that goes into the game inspires a new thought, a new idea, a new feel. And that's, you know, I kind of count on that a little bit myself. I mean, I remember seeing Kadish for the first time and just almost automatically feeling this expanse type sound. And it didn't take long to come up with the uh, the vault music or uh, not necessarily the vault music, but the the ambient music that happens once you once you get through it, uh, and which is not the the gallery theme, but I'm talking about the ambient music for it. Yeah, the so those type of places, and, and and whether it's you know a, a palette of colors or a, a set of you know elements in in the game or in the environment, those are what set off the the uh, uh, the, the feelings and emotions that hopefully you know keep you fresh. Are you a uh perpetually walking around with a notebook to jot down little things as you no experience. i don't do that any, i don't do that anymore i i, I used to i i do have uh, i do have something that's very cool i just got uh, from m audio i got this uh they sent me a micro track which is a, a portable recorder which i've always had for doing sound design work but it was much bulkier this is about the size of an ipod now and so i use that i bring that with me everywhere i go now and for sound design, it's great because I was walking up the hill to my house the other day, and there was some great sounding cicadas type of ambient sound going on, the grass blowing and whatever. So I recorded that. I just happened to be there and at the right time and the right moment, got a great recording of it, and you'll probably hear that in the game sometime soon, I'm sure. That's great. Well, at this point, I'm out of questions, so it's your opportunity to say anything you'd like to share with the fans uh, that I maybe haven't managed to cover in my interview questions. I, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> um, I'm not sure there's anything I'm allowed to say uh, that I, you know, it's it's a, I I will say it's a great community and 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 everybody here at Cyan sure appreciates the support and I don't know if uh, you know if uh, you've heard much about what Mysterium and so forth over the last week or two and I mean it was oh, just sure a great have. outpouring of support from the fans and. Uh, it was a, a great gathering here at Cyan, and it's just a, a really wonderful thing to have fans like that. Well, before we go, I want to thank JW for making it possible for me to prepare this interview appropriately. Uh, he did a great deal of research so that I could do the write-up and still keep up on my schoolwork because I've been writing a paper all weekend. I owe him a lot more than thanks. And uh, finally, seeing all the awards from PC Gamer, GameSpot, Game Industry News, all praising your work with Uru, Mist 5, and Cyan... I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that your work is both appreciated and enjoyed. However, I still feel compelled to say that we do indeed enjoy your work a great deal. If music truly has the power to carry one directly into the mental state of the composer, then it's been a pleasure to enjoy that state both verbally today and non-verbally through your music. I thank you for most graciously joining us today. Uh, we wish that you the best in the future endeavors both in Uru Live and the various other projects you may undertake. That's, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And we hope to see you again. And this is Janathus for The Cavern Today, signing off.
And it wouldn't be a podcast without a musical gateway. Today we have for you Beyond Gira. Enjoy!
here's Moog with the Pod 17 Thought. Hello again, this is Moog for the Cavern Today. I was just listening to my segment from our last podcast, you know, the one where I urged all of our listeners to subscribe to GameTap via the Uru Live site. And you know, I seem so earnest in that segment, so serious about getting involved in the future of Uru Live, that I finally managed to convince myself to subscribe to GameTap, which I did about an hour ago. I can be very persuasive at times. So now I've seen GameTap. Wow, what an impressive array of entertainment. GameTap is a veritable gold mine of gaming, with titles spanning genres, platforms, and years of game evolution. GameTap allows you to play everything from the original Pong all the way up to Uru. And even though I don't class myself a gamer in the general sense of the word, I did work my way up through an Atari 2600 console, an Atari 400 computer, a Commodore 64, a Macintosh SE, a Mac Performa 405, a power computing Mac clone, and my current Windows system, a Sony VAIO, and along the way I've dabbled in games on all of those platforms. I've seen the industry evolve, albeit from the standpoint of a very casual observer. GameTap has reminded me of something I noticed a few years ago when I first played around with emulators on my PC, that is, programs that run on your system and emulate earlier hardware, allowing you to play, for example, Atari 2600 games on your PC. The first time I downloaded some game ROM images, I thought something had gone wrong. I hadn't seen a download progress bar, so I assumed the download had failed. Wrong. The games had indeed downloaded, but their small size meant that the download had happened almost instantaneously, and I simply missed it. My initial amusement at seeing a game that lived in only 4K of RAM gave way to amazement that I had spent literally hours of my life engrossed in such games, pushing chunky pixels around my 10-inch TV screen with a blocky joystick. I thought of all those evenings playing the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man with its flickering game sprites with huge pixels and teeny-sounding music coming from four-voice sound generators. But they still had that spark of magic about them, that elusive quality that kept you glued to the screen till the wee hours, just trying to set a new high score. Well, standards are so much higher today. Those tiny little game files are given way to titles that ship on multiple DVDs, and instead of manipulating simple little game sprites, we can now be surrounded by real-time 3D worlds that blow us away with their sheer beauty and draw us in, daring us to explore them, to walk around every corner, open every door, climb every mountain, ford every stream. Back then, we worried about getting sore hands from holding joysticks in a death grip all night. Nowadays, we debate on the best kind of graphics card one that will do the most effective job of rendering water, smoke, textures, atmospheric effects, lighting, you know, the list goes on. Oh, well. Here I am again, lost in memory lane without a hint book. Let me wrap this thing up. I've watched electronic entertainment evolve from blips to bitmaps to fully immersive 3D, and the simple fact is that Cyan Worlds had a huge part to play in that evolution. Cyan made us look at gaming in an entirely different light, taking us from the simplicity of the manhole, with its click-to-see-what-happens strategy, through the upcoming Uru Live, where we'll share virtual worlds with other explorers, walking through breathtaking environments, and collaborating on solutions as the story unfolds around us. I'm very grateful to GameTap for sharing Cyan's vision, and for being adventurous enough to take on Uru and rescue it from an undeserved demise. The future of Uru looks very promising indeed, And until live releases this year, I'll be able to reminisce 
and remember how, how bad I really was at Galaxian. So for The Cavern today, this is Molwag signing off. That's it for Podcast 17. A special thanks to Tim Larkin for joining us today. Also, Janathus wanted to thank JW again for lending a helping hand with the research. For more information, please visit our website at www.thecaverntoday.com, where you'll find links to Shortwave, CCN Central, Lakewater, information on staff, previous podcasts that you might want to listen to, and our forum, where we would love to hear from any and all of our listeners. Suggestions, comments, conversation are all welcome. Well, this is Tayan saying Shara Bashem until next time.